Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody, to the Veteran Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Carter. Uh, Carmen Nazaro is off this summer. We hope she's enjoying her summer break. Uh, hopefully, she's getting out and having some fun. If you are new to the program, welcome. Every week, we bring on these incredible founders that are doing remarkable things, and they just have one extra thing on their resume, and that is service to our country. And this week is no exception. We have this remarkable founder. His name is Steve Jimenez from Hives to Heroes. What's up, man? Hey, thank you for having us, man. We really appreciate being here. Highs for Heroes. Uh, let's talk about that. But I, before we get to that, we want my listeners really want to hear your story, right? So yeah. I want to hear what 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 uh, what was the reason for you to go into the military? What branch and what did you do while you were in? Awesome. So a reason for going to the military was I was a junior at 9-11. So 9-11 still hits hard for a lot of probably your listeners and viewers as well. Um, during that year, I remember vividly uh, being in our in our social studies class and and watching the towers hit on TV, so when when that happened, a lot of my buddies were seniors, right? I played varsity ball, football, baseball, and basketball, and a lot of my buddies went to the military. It just so happened in my area, most of them went Marine Corps, um, so they went off to war, and I sat there and said, "What what am I going to do?" Right, another year. Um, so it was it was pretty devastating there. That was probably my mo- main motivational driver as and. Um, but my parents wouldn't let me go. They wanted me to go to school. So I graduated from Texas A&M and they believed that I would not want to still be in the military. And I did anyway. So, uh, 2006 graduated there and, and went to the Marine Corps, um, you know, OCS, TBS, uh, and comm school. So uh, became a communications officer and, uh, did what, what the best that I could do. Went to mag mag 11, mag 16, and then deployed with 15th Mew 2010. And, um, came back and ended my time in 4-3 combat battalion. Wow. And where were you deployed? Like how, how often did you get go overseas? So I only deployed the one time uh, okay. in uh, OEF 2010. And in that, I believe we hit 17 countries during our deployment. So both combat operations, kinetic, um, hatter, uh, piracy operations, pretty much the gamut. It was wow. a pretty exciting, a pretty exciting um, deployment. What were you expecting when you got into the military and what was, what surprised you about it? I think my expectation, my expectation was to be a lifelong military member. I thought that I would have retired as, as a Marine. Um, you know, once you go through the training and, and the indoctrination piece of it, it becomes a part of you and, and, and more so the people around you become a part of you. Um, and your lives intertwine and it just continues to move forward. It's like, uh, time is slow, but fast. And you, you hear a lot of the guys that retired be like 20 years flew by, but while they were in it, it sucked, right? Like there's always the, the shared hardships of whatever you're going through together. Um, didn't think I would get out, uh, but, uh, you know, family responsibilities and such, um, took that to the level of removing myself from that and getting out to the civilian world and transitioning. Yeah. When you were transitioning, what did, uh, what were you hoping to get into? I mean, you were doing communications, but, uh, but what was the first job you got when you got out of the military? 
Um, first job that I got out was done by headhunters. Uh, they, they looked at my background as, as a leader, right? Cause we didn't have any super special skills as we all know. Uh, the veterans listening understand that. How do you transition? <laughs> How do you put a resume together that uh, experience to put experiences of what you've had into what, what you should be doing or could be doing? Yeah, definitely. So they were able to tailor that and it ended up being a leadership role with a company called Cooper Industries and Cooper Power Systems. And I moved to uh, Mont Bellevue, Texas, which is a small town to take care of my family. And I would essentially drive back and forth every week to Nacogdoches, Texas. And we ran a manufacturing facility there with about 385 personnel. And one of the best ticket advices that I ever got from a Lieutenant Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Chipman, was to get certified in lean and Six Sigma. Mm. So I got my black belt, I mean, my green belt while I was in the military, and they trained me to be a black belt in, in lean and Six Sigma. And that really put me on a whole different trajectory of what uh, earning potential was, influence potential, impact potential. And I really enjoyed the experiences there. We stayed there for about 16 months building single-phase transformers for really they get shipped all over the country, all over the world, really. Uh, and then was recruited by Halliburton to build a $60 million facility for them oh, at roughly 28, 29 years old. Uh, pretty, pretty awesome experience. We built a greenfield project, which means we, we had a team and we built it from the ground up from a field to a full manufacturing facility. It's amazing. And, you know, a lot of those experiences were able to help us because most of what we did was bring people together that were subject matter experts, listen and put together plans to make things happen. Right. Mm -hmm. I'd never seen a machine or a part even before that. Right. But you don't really need to if you have the opportunity to work with such amazing people. That's incredible. What, what did that teach you? I, well, I, I, let me take that back. What did the military teach you that you were able to take to that project to make it so successful? Yeah, I think communication is a huge piece of it. How do you communicate clearly and effectively? How do you work well with others? Not that are just in your mindset or just, you know, your background or anything like that, but people in general, that everybody has value, yeah. that the, the experiences that they've had previously will benefit the whole if you, you have the choice to allow it, mm -hmm. right? We, we oftentimes have a choice to think we're either smarter or faster or whatever than somebody else. And when you can take a step back and get some humility in there, you realize that there's a lot of amazing people out there and together we are stronger. So that's exactly what the military is. You have each functional piece that does its, does its subject matter expert extremely well. And when you bring it together, it's absolute chaos. It's beautiful. Yeah, no, definitely. And when you got out of the military and we're transitioning into the sort of working world, if you will, I'm holding up air quotes here, but <laughs> uh, we're in the working world. Like what, what was that transition? Was it an easy transition for you or did you have a little bit of tr trouble sort of assimilating into this sort of new normal that you were getting yourself into? Yeah, that's a great question. And the qu the answer is different for everybody. Mine was, in my opinion, terrible. Yeah. Um, I came out and threw myself into work. Mm. I didn't understand what it was to be a dad. I didn't understand what it was to be a husband because we were either training or gone for yep. a significant period of time. 
Um, I thought that financial responsibilities were the most important thing. Mm -hmm. So as long as I was getting a check, then I could literally say, I'm, I'm doing exactly, I'm bringing home the bacon, right? And that wasn't healthy for my family and it wasn't healthy for me. Mm-hmm. And ultimately I was divorced from that relationship. And, you know, looking back on it and I talked to my kids about it cause we're very close and I see some of the, the anger or the, um, the, those characteristics that have, that have, that have shown themselves in myself. And I try to talk that through with them of there's a better way to do that. There's a better way to, um, to show that or communicate that anger, frustration, whatever that looks like, um, because it can be detrimental as you move forward. You know, if we can stop it now or, or curve it now, um, it'll be better off for them in life. So, I, I, basically, basically, I did not have a great transition. Yeah. Um, threw myself into work. That was my coping. Yeah. Well, there, there's an interesting parallel to being an entrepreneur and going through the military. Both, you really you're taking your family through this journey with you, right? They're experiencing it with you. And so when you're in the military, they've got to move around where you move around. They are sort of forced to deal with whatever the consequences of you being deployed. And then the same goes for being an entrepreneur. When you're going through this journey, they're right there with you. The The lows are low, the highs are high, but they're with the, with you on that journey. How much did you learn from that experience that took you into your your first endeavor? Um, the first endeavor was roughly 2014. We started a consulting company after leaving Halliburton and did very well. Um, my problems ended up being, again, continuously throwing myself into work. And I'm, I'm not the best example of what it would look like to have a healthy family. Mm. You know, I, I threw myself into work and I had alcohol issues mm. and I drank a lot. And there were times where my depression was so bad that I would just drink all day. Hmm. So not until probably the past year has it been so much different in life, turning my life over to Christ and then not drinking, you know, for almost two, two and a half years. So that has been the biggest transition. And the, and the crazy thing about that is the businesses show it because the, the people that we are and the character that we show transition to what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and although we were successful again, monetarily, there was still, there wasn't joy, sure. right? There wasn't joy in, in the journey. Yeah. And, and now as, as we can talk and relate to veterans that are in our programs, um, we're not the sit there and say, look, I did everything right guys. We're going to sit there next to you and say, man, I've been through that guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different conversation. The empathy is different. It's there. It's real. Right. Right. So talk about the hives for heroes. What, what was the, what was the thought process for that? Why, why hives? Why be hives? <laughs> hives for heroes was a friend that got me into it because she had wanted to do bees, right? She, she just liked bees. Um, eventually uh, she had gotten a, a full-time position and we're a, a full-time nonprofit and she has, has a child and has responsibilities and I understand that. Um, we had a, a beekeeper, the first beekeeper who had other family responsibilities as well and moved on. And it started just here in Houston. It started with about 12 veterans, which is pretty uh, uh, awesome just by itself. Well, you and, have such a robust, uh, veteran ecosystem down there in Texas. Like there's a lot of, you got San Antonio, you've got, you know, uh, it was just, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of veterans over there. So I'd very imagine very military friendly, you know, very, it, yeah, it, yeah very, uh, 
hospitable, mm-hmm. right? Very understanding, um, non-judgmental is what I would call it. And a lot of them, <laughs> a lot, you know, people come to uh, Texas because there's, you know, no taxes, income taxes and things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, you create a family down here. And as we continued to grow our family, one of the struggles that we had was that people were contacting us from all over the country wanting to do something like we, we were doing. So bees became almost an addiction. They are amazing creatures. They are very similar to the military structure. Every bee has a job. Every bee knows exactly what it's supposed to do by the age of which the bee is. Um, they all have a common mission, a common goal. And if any of those fail, the hive collapses. So it's very, very similar to the military. And so we, we were not having the opportunities to say yes, like we wanted to, because we didn't have an infrastructure in place all over the country. Bees are very geographical. You can't just say, okay, we're in Houston. Everybody travel to Houston and learn bees and, and get pushed out because you don't have the support you need over the long term. Right. So we basically built a large network of beekeepers all across the country that have, are willing to volunteer their time uh, to train a single veteran. So it turns into a peer-to-peer mentoring nice. program. And each one is responsible for a hive. Each one's responsible for themselves. And each one's responsible for the newbie. And it becomes a family that is extremely large in scale, but very close in relationships. So what we believe is that when you put purpose in somebody's life and they find that purpose, which we consider a lifelong uh, hobby of beekeeping, and you build relationships in their local communities, they become stronger. They themselves become stronger. They now become better people. They're being better people in their families and their families become stronger and the community overall becomes stronger. Um, We've seen so many stories of guys and, and females that their families are stronger. And that is so amazing to see. If you look on our Instagram at Hives for Heroes, the stories we have, they come out like every six days of a new veteran that's come in, that's been willing to share a little bit about themselves. Mm-hmm. And you can see every face that's on there that, that is going through anywhere from Alaska to Hawaii to Maine, Boston, Florida. I mean, literally everywhere around the country. It's amazing. Uh, what <laughs> I'm just so made of questions because this is such a fascinating, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still stuck on this, uh, the parallels. Cause it's true, right? Like bees have this hierarchy and this structure to them and, and it's perfect. This parallel between the military and the hives when a, when a veteran, how, when a veteran approaches you about this, um, how, how easy is the transition for them to, to get into this program? And then sort of what's the success failure rate? Like how many people end up dropping off? Oh, that's, oh man, that's a great question. It's something we're super proud of. Yeah. The, so we have a, we have a very simple process. So you literally go to www.hivesforheroes.com. You go to a, an application page in which you want, whether it's volunteer, newbie, or mentor. You fill that out and it comes into our system. We match you geographically with who your family is going to be, right? Mm-hmm. But we also call you. So you get an email immediately and then we call you because we want to know who you are and why you're doing this, right? And so we get to know everybody personally, every mentor, every newbie, everybody that comes into the program. And as we match geographically, then we have a three-way call and we have a warm handoff, right? So it's not two strangers meeting you know, at a coffee shop with a rose in their mouth, right? It's literally, they've already had a conversation with a trusted entity that they're coming together doing a common thing that they both enjoy. 
not all veterans that come into the program have ever dealt with bees before. So we go right. over safety, precautions, allergies, uh, PPE, you know, uh, bee suits and gloves and things like that. And then we release them and we're there to support, but we're, that, we're not there to micromanage. Military members don't need to be micromanaged. They need to be empowered. And once they go out and do things and they understand they're capable of it, that leadership comes back. That mm. pride comes back. And they go off and literally do amazing things that we could have never imagined. And that's yeah. the beauty of not being, you know, in control all the time. It's not just your vision. It's a shared vision. It's, it's, the, it's the beauty of having everybody's ideas coming together and, and shooting off into another realm, such as uh, box making, right? Mm. We can actually take a lot of the supply chain from what we're doing. So we use an analogy whenever we speak in public about the different, the, the, the similarities between a veteran going into combat and a veteran here. Hmm. And how we explain it is it's very similar because you're gearing up. You have a known threat or a known enemy, right? The bees, right? They're a threat and they want to, uh, literally they want to kill you, right? So, so you suit up, you're putting on your gear, you're trusting yourself, you're trusting your gear, you're trusting your teammates, right? And you're trusting the relationship in which you've built. And then you're going into that hive, into that known threat. You're taking care of it through a process, just like it would be kicking down a door, taking over a building or whatever that looks like. Follow the process, button it up, walk away with success, right? So it's a, it's a very, it's, it's so relatable that the first time veterans come through it, they get the exhilaration of the fear, the anxiety of what's going to happen, which we all face every day. So we also correlate that to just regular anxiety that we deal with, with PTSD, with um, just anxiety in general, right? With any of the traumas that we've had, because we understand that trauma is trauma on the brain, whether it's sexual trauma or combat trauma or childhood trauma. And we allow that to take place. And the veteran's the one doing the work and they don't even know it. They know it when they're done that they're successful and they say, wow, look what I just did. Um, and like I said, before you know it, the family's involved because they're coming home happy and going like, this is the coolest thing ever. The family's happy. The kids want to join up. The kids are getting suits. They're coming out to the yard. We have, you know, 15 people out there. Six of them are kids. You know, it's amazing to see the family come in because we are a family organization. I love that. I love that story. And again, it goes back to the parallels, right? You're suiting up. There's a there's an enemy here. It's fascinating. Uh, we've been talking to Steve Jimenez from Hives for Heroes. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. Bridges to Change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to health care, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com. All right, and we're back. You've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast. I'm talking to Steve Jimenez from Highs for Heroes. We've been talking a lot about the parallels between 
managing a hive and and being deployed, which is so many parallels I really didn't think of until we started this conversation. One thing I wanted to ask you, Steve, is what are some of the challenges you found in here? Like, what are, what are some of the things that when the veterans come in, what are some things that they really struggle with off the bat? So one of the challenges that we have is there's a knowledge um, gap, right? You got to learn something new. And the great thing is that we have a positive as, attitude as an organization, and we feel that, that that resonates to the people that are in here. We want to build a safe and comfortable environment so people are willing to learn, ready to learn, and be open to learning, uh, which also opens up conversations. But the, the learning curve of bees in general is a lot, right? It's, it's science, right? These are, these are creatures and there's, it's science. So it does, as easy as it seems sometimes when you're very practical, it can get very complicated. So I'd say the knowledge, a knowledge uh, gap is one of the, I wouldn't even say it's issue. It's a challenge. And sure. oftentimes when we look at opportunities, there are challenges there. And we've had very positive reactions from, wow, this is really cool. I want to learn more instead of, wow, this is too hard. I don't want to do it anymore. Mm. The reason why we are a peer-to-peer mentor program is because individually we quit. When we're alone and we're isolated and we feel like we can't do something, we quit. I've had many experiences, not only myself, but also veterans that have been around with me. Um, My first time to lose a hive, I physically cried. I didn't know how to handle it. It was under my charge. We took it out of a home and I physically um, or physiologically, emotionally reacted to that because I lost again, right? The, the thought process was, man, I can't even do that. These, these creatures have been around for thousands of years, but they die from me, right? So it was like this, this, um, this story I kept telling myself as Brene Brown would say, right? So what we do is the, the, the reason why the peer-to-peer is so important is because you have somebody there with you. I went on a removal with a young man and he was like, this is crazy because on a removal, bees are everywhere. You are cutting into their home. They are all over the place. The, the pitch goes up, their wing flap. It's almost like the temperature changes. It's so, it's so oh, man. crazy to experience, right? And he, was, he kept walking away. And I was like, well, we have to do this for the, for, the, for the client, right? But he's like, if you wouldn't have been here, I would have quit. I would have just walked away. Oh, man. And I said, you're not the only one. I would have done the same thing, right? I had a mentor that was there, uh, Steve, who, who I called and he was like, bro, it's your first time doing this. It's okay. And so then I got to be that for somebody else. And now other people get to be that for other people. It's pretty amazing how that, those lessons learned translate. And because we do it on such a relational basis and it's a human nature, it translates very quickly, exponentially all, over, all across the country. You, using your background in, in communications and the military and the projects you've done, what are some of the traits that you think have helped you in growing this organization? Very good question. I would say resiliency and <laughs> would be one of them. There's, there's always going to be failures, um, personal failures, business failures. Um, you got to work through them, right? You just, you just can't quit. You know, there's, there's opportunities to do so, but at the end of the day, it's a choice. And whether it's construction or, you know, being a librarian or being a nurse or a doctor, or, it doesn't matter. There's going to be challenges in your way. So at the end of the day, we have to realize that 
you know, life is about those opportunities and challenges. And the more resilient we become, the better that we can be for our families and others, you know, um, we did, we didn't try to make some large impact. It happened by continuously doing the same thing, the discipline of doing what we thought would make a difference in our community, which our community just expanded. This wasn't an idea or some scale process that we put onto a five-year plan of how many states we were going to be in. It's organic growth because it matters. It's a whole different ball game. The emotion behind what we do is a driver. The reason why, because we care and love military veterans and the ability to assimilate back into society yeah. in a very healthy way is something that's missing. There's a gap there. And a lot of organizations are doing that, but you can't have an organization solve that. It ha you have to go where the veteran is. You have to be where they are. Yeah, it's fascinating. We had um, Chad Brown from Soul River a long time ago. And he, if you're unfamiliar, he takes veterans out for uh, fishing trips. Um, and it's this, sort of the same thing. It's this connection that you have with the veteran communities. And you know, being, uh, being somebody that's on a chair of a veteran service organization, each of us try to find our place in the ecosystem, right? We all try to figure out, well, where do we fit? There's 45,000 veteran service organizations in the country. What's our place in the ecosystem and, and what's our purpose? And what I love is that it's so mission-driven. How many chapters are you, uh, do you guys have now? So we don't necessarily run it by chapters right now. Yeah. We do it by states. So we're in 38 yeah. states. Oh, my God. That's crazy. And, and how that, long have you guys been around? The organization has been around for two years since mid-2018. The growth that we've had from social media and uh, Morgan helping out with all the things that she does on, yeah, yeah. on that, those platforms and the ability to say yes, right? We found a way to say yes. We got way too many calls and emails. Hey, how can I do this? Can you do this in Montana? Well, no, like we're in Houston. And we stopped making excuses and said, you know what? That guy matters. That person matters. Yeah, let's figure it out. And that's how we continued to grow. So our ability to say yes and literally just know that that person, it could be their last lifeline or it could be just uh, something that they want to do, but it's going to enhance their lives. Right. Um, so 38 states in the past seven and a half months or so. COVID hit and there was a huge need for connection. And because wow, we're so COVID has actually increased the, the need. Wow. That's that was gonna be my next question. COVID has actually significantly increased the the need because there is so much disconnection. So in beekeeping, yeah. you don't have to be next to somebody. You don't have to be right next to them. There you, the six foot of rule doesn't really apply because you're never you're never really that close to anybody. Sure. Um so as you're working a hive, um oftentimes you're alone or with a buddy, but you're like going through a yard together. So you don't have the the restrictions of that, but you still have the personal connection mm -hmm. and you still have an activity and you still get out of the house and you're in nature and you're in the sun and you're out doing something productive. And those things are obviously very beneficial to mental health. Of course. Yeah. Um, when you're, when somebody's going through the hives and they're running into issues What's the support network like? You mentioned they have a mentor. How close, if they're out on their own, how close and easy is it for them to connect with their mentors? Oh, another great question. Man, you're, you're knocking them out of the park today. What I, that's why I get paid the big bucks, man. Uh, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. 
So we have, we have, we're multiple layered, right? So one is they can always contact us at headquarters, right? There's always the support line, um, over email. Then we have the Facebook group that once you're in, into the program, you're in the Facebook group as well. So we get to see stuff from all over the country. It's really cool to see, you know, the bear in Valerie's backyard mm. because she's in Alaska, right? We don't see that in Texas. Um, we don't see the stuff that's going out on Hawaii, but the pictures that are taken is kind of like, it's really cool to experience that with them, right? They get to share their life and we get to experience it with them. So in that Facebook group, there's also the opportunity to ask questions, Mm -hmm. to take pictures, ask questions about what this looks like. Why does this brood look like this? Is my, is my hive starving? Is, is there not enough pollen flow or um, all sorts of questions. So there's, there's the ability to have literally hundreds of mentors that are mentoring somebody individually, but still have an opinion on things that, that if they're available, they can share. Yeah. So you're learning from hundreds of amazing mentors. You're talking about uh, entomologists, doctors that are all around the country, the head of state apiaries. It's really, really cool. Uh, um, apiary owners, um, honey uh, bee farm owners. These guys are guys and and women because we have some amazing women in our program, and we can talk about that too because that has been a very strong influx in our organization, which is not typical. Right. Um, and so th- all the questions are being able to ask, be asked there. So now you have those two overarching functions and then internal to the state, you have your community, right? So you have your, your mentor one-on-one and then as they continue to grow, they grow groups in their own communities. Mm. So now you, you go from two to four to eight. I mean, it's almost like multiplying hives that you have all these people in your community because you're also aligned with the beekeeping association from the state and local chapters. Wow. Okay. So we aren't into recreating the wheel. We want to align with collaborate and build relationships with existing platforms that benefit already that some people just don't know about and bring an influx of people to those organizations that are local and spend the time and money to do those things. Yeah. As an organization, as a nonprofit, what are some of the things you were struggling as an organization right now? And um, how has COVID helped or hurt that? Yeah. So as an, as an organization, like I said, we're, we're, we're growing pretty quickly. The, the need is there. The, the, the market space is there for sure. Um, and I believe that the love that we share on a daily basis is really shared in the communities as well, right? There, you have to be able to set an example of what that looks like. And our organization, I believe, is a really, really good way to do that. Um, on a financial side, it doesn't cost much to start a veteran off. Mm. So if you're looking anywhere between $1,000 to $1,500 for a full year of training with equipment, uh, bees and everything else, Mm. that is not really a high price for somebody that's going to continue that invest in themselves as well, and then push forward in everything that they do because they're going to bring other people in promise. Their friends are going to look at their Facebook and go, that is super cool. What, how did you do that? And that's a lot of the growth too. It's very mouth, um, uh, word of mouth, right? Um, so on a financial level, we are a true nonprofit. We don't pay anybody. There's no, there's no payments that go out to any of the, the people that are on the team or the staff that do all the work on the back end, mm. right? So of course we have expenses such as the websites and phones and things like that, that we have to keep that running. Otherwise 
we, we, you can't find us. Right. Right. But at a minimal, I mean, everything goes back to the veteran and that's the intent of the program. You know, I'm, I'm a hundred percent disabled, so I'm not in a position to go out and try to make a bunch of money. I'm my point is exactly what our mission is, right? Suicide prevention through purpose and relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do. And I believe we do it well. Um, another answer to your question was in that first year on the, the learning curve, we purposely have built the program to, to lower expenses and um, increase confidence mm -hmm. by not having the veteran have a hive their first year. There's, there's a lot of reasons behind that. The biggest one is we don't want to burden them with extra responsibility. We'd rather them pair so with somebody that has the hives that can train on them with them. Hmm. So instead of having to take care of that hive with all the financial expenses that go along with it, they're able to uh, team at teamwork, become closer in the relationships, and they earn a hive. They oh, earn a split from the hive from their mentor at the end of their first year. Hmm. So the program is more about how do you become self-sustaining? How do you go out and, and earn things, not just be given things, right? We want to be a hand up, not a handout program is what we would try to call it. That veteran welfare mentality is another one that, that we talk about. So we want to make sure that they are earning continuously. And as they continue to grow, there's been huge strides in people's leadership and their willingness to share their willingness to do. We have people that speak over the, across the country as well at different uh, events to promote the program as well. And these individuals are doing this on their own, right? With small guidance, just a little rudder, right? And they're taking that energy and doing what they love to do now. Love it. What do you hope this thing becomes in five to 10 years? Well, five to 10 years seems like a really long time. <laughs> um, to be honest, I would like the organizational structure to be have some more foundation to it. So a small hierarchy in each state. And when I mean small, I mean small, like maybe two to three uh, people running the state, but also being able to full-time employ. Mm. And what I mean by that is there is a need in the market for apiary management, uh, for school, for training. And I believe that the veterans can step up and as we're doing right now is we're creating revenue streams by serving the community. Okay. So when we do an apiary management, we might make a hundred or $200 a month hmm. that comes into the program that goes directly back out to the veteran, but it creates revenue. Mm -hmm. And if we can have enough revenue to hire people full-time in a major city all across the country, we believe that that is a way to not only empower, but also employ veterans doing beekeeping. Yeah. Beekeeping isn't just for the veteran. Beekeeping is also for the pollination and conservation of honeybees, which we know is a huge issue right now. So if we can, if we can go forth and continue to scale on the, on the, on the way that we are, we'd probably, in 10 years, we probably would have over 10,000 people in a program. You're never going to have a million person program. It's, mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. going to happen. That's not our, that would never be our vision, right? Sure. But we want something that's self-sustaining. Yeah. The point is to be self-sustaining. The bees are self-sustaining and we should be as well. So as we continue to move forward, having guys that are stepping up in leadership positions to take over certain areas, we break them down um, into admin, operations, hive building, um, production. So people that are able to uh, marketing and, and social media. So people that are able to take over that with their set of skills that can still uh, push, push the mission forward. Um, we have a question that we ask every one of our, our veterans and mentors when they come in. And the question is, what brings you joy? 
Hmm. If you could do anything for the rest of your life, what it would be do, what would it do? And typically it fits in one of those categories. Mm -hmm. So we want, we don't want people to burn out. Many hands make lightweight and we want people to, to be empowered in doing things that they want to do, but not have to be chained to it. Right. And when that happens, you see their personality come out. The creativity comes out, the, the efforts come out and things that we would have never thought of are existing right now because we empower veterans. It's fascinating. Uh, and, you know, you wouldn't think bees and veterans go well, but after hearing the story and the parallels, like it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Uh, you talked about revenue. What are some other ways that the nonprofit uh, brings in money? Uh, obviously donations and partnerships, but what are some of the other revenue streams? So I talked about the earning it part. I mean, we, of course, we'd love to have somebody come in and say, Hey, we can, we can fund you. Um, that would be fantastic because it's actually not very much money, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it keeps us hungry, right? And hunger is yeah. one of those things that keeps us driving forward. So the way we started this org was by like myself and several veterans literally going out and removing hives from homes, mm -hmm. doing swarms, and then tr creating our own apiaries. So literally earning it, right? We're going into the community, doing good, asking for a donation for what it is, right? A typical removal, for example, could be $1,000. Mm. And we'd say, could you give us half? And you're giving it to a, a nonprofit, so it's tax deductible. Well, that was an easy sell, right? right. They're, they're doing good. We're doing good. We take the bees back. Hopefully, they survive and, and thrive in our apiaries. That was our main driver. That was our main revenue generator. So you're talking about hours upon hours in the Texas heat, right? Going out and trying to build the program. Mm. And we're lucky and blessed in order for that to have happened, for that to have occurred. So donations are some platforms. We have uh, social media shares that I think we just got another like $250 in the past couple of days from a gentleman that was doing push-ups right? We didn't know them, but we get to connect with other nonprofits that are in spaces that we can help support as well. So the networking is huge. Um, Wounded Warrior Project has come in and we've had probably about 20 people go um, from the Wounded Warrior Project into our program, mm. which is amazing because it's, it's, it's again shows the collaboration, right? The collaboration, of the community as a whole. Um, and, and they've done, they've been an amazing supporter and we have Zoom calls with them. Um, Semper Fi Fund wants to do the exact same thing, which is super, um, it's amazing, especially coming from the Marine Corps background, right? Love it. Um, apiary management is another one that we would do. So we go out and, and help people get agricultural exemptions for their, for their properties, hmm. which is a huge deal. So now we're helping the community by saving them money, significant money in taxes, right? Wow. For property taxes, mm -hmm. but also able to utilize that as a, as a foothold to have an apiary and a training, a public training space for the veterans that are coming into the program in their areas. Um, let's see, we have, obviously you talked about the donations. We don't have any grant dollars. We don't have anybody that can really write grants or things like that. We believe that we'd be a, a really good candidate for it. But at this point, it's, it's like having enough and doing enough, if that makes sense. Yeah. What we oh. bring in is very, is very organic and it could be more comfortable but again, like comfort is the home of complacency, right? Absolutely. And as soon as we get complacent, um, we go, oh, yeah, that's good enough. And we might not be answering that next call that we need to, right? Right. Where can people find you guys? 
So number one place, everything that's up to date on a daily and hourly is going to be on Instagram. Okay. Instagram at Hives for Heroes. That's going to feed our Facebook. And we have a lot of traffic through there. They can come through on messaging. We'll answer the messages directly as well. And then our website is www.hivesforheroes.com. And those are where the applications are. Mm -hmm. So it's a forward-facing um, a product that we have that they can come in and we'll have all the information that we need in order to match them. Uh, it's been so fun getting to know people from all over the country. We don't know who is going to apply to the program. So, uh, you know, some of the tendencies that are going on right now in our country, we don't have those issues. <laughs> we, right. sit, we sit there and go, okay, cool. Here's the next person. And everybody right. is treated with the exact same heart. Yeah. Because I have no idea what you look like, how tall you are, what hair color you are. It doesn't matter right. because we love you. Yeah. And what we're doing is a mission in order to save lives, right? And it's so cool to see the partnerships that come together, the yeah. literal best friends that have been made from it of people that lived in communities that they had never met each other before. That's amazing. It's so cool. I love uh, it. Later on, we'd really like to start, uh, as we continue to build the apiaries and build more revenue, We'd really like to start a scholarship program hmm. for those that are in the organization so that we can start funding, hopefully, even small bits and portions of the kids that are involved in Hives for Heroes for college. I love it. I love it. Steve, this has been great. And uh, I, I love the mission. I love what you guys are doing. Congratulations on all the growth. That is remarkable. In two years being in 38 states, that's that's fascinating and, and just incredible uh, for you guys. So congratulations on everything. Thank you. It, it literally takes a village. It, it, there yeah. are so many people involved and I'm really honored to be able to, to speak on behalf. I love it. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, you guys, uh, you've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. Listen, learn, get shit done. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> get shit done. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.